1: You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your MoneyWise guys back inside the MoneyWise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host Kyle Davidson. Now, for any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275. Two one six two. If you like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Moneywise program, I turn it over
0: to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 83 points, or two-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 46 points, or 1.1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 235 points, or 2.1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 5.3%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 14.6%. And the Nasdaq year to date is down 26.7%. We also just finished the month of November, which was a good month for the markets. The Dow was up about five and three quarters percent. The S and P was up just shy of five and a half. And the Nasdaq was up a little less than four and a half percent for the month of November. So a, a really good month there. It's been a few a weeks, weeks since we've uh, been on the show and uh, yeah, it's November the twelfth was the last time uh, we did a, did the show, and the markets over that time period. There's been plenty of ups and downs, uh, but on average, all three of the indexes are up about two percent over the last. Oh, I guess we're about uh, three weeks ago was the last time we did a show, something like that. Well, yes, um, and I, we hope all of our listeners had
1: a safe and happy. Thanksgiving holiday, but it has been a few weeks since we've been on the air. Uh, although we we did have quite a quite a lot of news that came out this past week, which we'll be hashing through for this weekend show.
0: And as our listeners may have caught that in Kyle's introduction, but our anniversary of the start of Davidson Capital Management is the week of Thanksgiving. So we are now beginning our thirty fourth year uh, managing money here in Texas. So congratulations to all of us. Yes,
1: and and thanks to all of our clients for
0: their
1: their continued support and trust in our family firm. We're
2: we're like my turkey for Thanksgiving, well-seasoned. Been around a while. Yeah, yeah, we've been around the block a few
1: times. We've been in the trenches for quite a few number of decades. And, you know, this this year notwithstanding has continued to be – that worst combined stock and bond market in uh, about 90 years. So continuing to be challenged. And I know every time we have our strategy meetings, just the constant handicapping that we're trying to do as professional money managers, and I'm sure our listeners, whether they're managing on a, managing the assets on their own, also trying to figure it out as well. So do we want to jump into kind of the highlights of this past week um i know we had the employment numbers on friday was there something you wanted to touch on first before we before we dive in
2: looking at the last week it started off with china and their and their zero tolerance for covid middle of the week we had Powell, and we ended the week with jobs so a pretty diverse lineup of news if you will so I, i think i think the uh the emotions of the
0: market continue to be expressed on a day-to-day basis. That seemed to there doesn't ever really seem to be much of a middle ground. It seems to be more sad on one day and then more happy on the next. We uh, we had a Fed meeting where the the markets got to me a little bit crazy, and we were up, what seven hundred points Plus on the day, uh, yeah. on Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. Wednesday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's on what? I mean, come on, really? Well, I
1: I think I think really what it was is that. Is that Chairman Powell came out and said we're, we're raising rates 50 basis points on December the 14th. Now, for any listener of this program we know that we've already been calling for that, but to actually hear the Chairman of the Federal Reserve say verbatim, we're raising rates 50 basis points, just letting
0: the cat out of the bag. Now I, I didn't hear him jobs. actually say the number. Did he actually say the number? or He just said, we're not going to be raising them at the same rate that we had been previously, which the market interpreted to be you know, less than 75 basis points, was, which must equal 50 basis points or one half of 1%. But I never did hear him actually say the numbers. But I agree with you, Kyle, that that's exactly where they're headed. And we've been saying this hasn't been – this is no surprise to us. So it's us. like, why was now. it – Why was it such a surprise to the market on Wednesday? The other one of those situations is probably the algos. They they, they put all the shorts on Monday and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And Joe mentioned what happened in China uh, and all the protests there about all the COVID restrictions, and and the markets were not very happy with that. And they were selling some of the tech names. Like Apple seems to always be at the top of the list whenever they're talking about. Big COVID restrictions—they always seem, you know, throw in Apple. Apple seems to be the poster child. Well, that stock's going to suffer the most because it's got all this manufacturing that's focused in in China. And so we have selling Monday and Tuesday. I guess really anticipation. Well, is the is the chairman going to pull a a, a switcheroo on us like like at the last meeting when there was all this? There was some euphoria followed by despair. When the chairman started talking, if the markets were positioning for a potential well. He's gonna he's gonna be really hawkish on Wednesday, so we got to get ready. So let's get all these shorts on, and then boom! No, he wasn't as hawkish as we thought. We gotta we gotta cover everything, and maybe a little bit of new money comes in. Well, I mean, looking at the volume this was, we had volume ninety
1: five percent above the daily average on Wednesday. So to me, that tells me that maybe we did have a little bit more new money coming in uh, than just the algorithm, short, you know, covering their shorts or hedge, hedgies covering their shorts. There might have been some new money coming in. And for the S&P 500, you know, it's always been the 200-day moving average from a technical standpoint that has been that kind of top-line resistance, which we broke through on Wednesday, but we didn't stay above it that long. So how back much is the Dow it.
0: up? Just the first two months of this. Well, that's the Dow. Now the Dow has gone absolutely uh, uh, ballistic to the, but, but the SP The S and P's up almost fourteen percent in it, two months. But we
1: have already seen these bear market rallies already this year. We saw it earlier this summer, which it then failed. So that's the big sixty-four thousand dollar question. We got a line. We got above the top line resistance at the two hundred day on the S and P. We were briefly. able to hold briefly. Now we're still holding slightly above it, even on Friday's close, with with the market selling down at the very end. We're still holding above it, but we'll pick up this point on the other side of the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Moneywise program, continue to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And before I went to break, I was just talking, talking, getting a little bit in the technical weeds about the S&P 500. We know that the 200-day moving average, Average on the S&P has been this kind of top-line resistance that the market was having issues breaking through. Well, on Wednesday of this past week, we broke above the 200-day moving average, sold down a little bit on Thursday, sold down a little bit more on Friday. We were still able to close – Slightly above the 200-day moving average, but for any home gamers, particularly those that look at the technical movements of the market, we would definitely want to see more trading days up above that 200-day moving average before I would say I would have a higher level of comfort putting any more money into the market at this point as far as dollar cost averaging slowly. Now, since it's been several weeks since we've had a show, There was quite a few changes that we made in the portfolio, and that was namely adding on the individual stock and bond account 16 new individual stock names, but we're moving into these positions very, very slowly, very, very incrementally, dollar cost averaging into them. Let's qualify
0: the other things that we did at the same time. We we sold a number of things for, for tax purposes and repurposed that money in, to, in beginning to build these positions in these new stocks, so our net effect in terms of our where we're at in a moderate asset allocation portfolio in terms of our asset allocation to stocks is maybe a handful of percent higher than we were, say, two or three weeks ago. The net, but it's
1: still the net. below 40%. It's still, it's it's still right. below I just 40%. Want, I just want to
0: make everyone sure. understand that we didn't go to 50% stocks since we last met with no. – with, last had a show. We maybe are up 5%. And that's a maybe. We have, we have continued to add to our bond positions. We purchased another treasury bond today on Friday. Um, I think the yield was at around 4.5%. It's about 18 months out. Correct. Uh, we, we've, we still have our, um, our net short on in our, uh, in our bond portfolio. So we're hedged. We still have a little bit of a hedge to higher rates. And I know there's a lot of disagreement <clears throat> Pardon me. Among the three of us, to some extent, about where we think whether we've reached peak yields, whether the lows are in, whether uh, the first half of, the, of 2023 is going to be good, or the, or the second half of 2023 is going to be good. Uh, but there was there was one thing this week that I thought was it was funny, but yet it was true. And I and I wish I could take credit for it, and I can't remember the gentleman that said it on CNBC, but this happened after the chairman, uh, chairman Powell's speech on Wednesday. And he said, what the Federal Reserve is trying to pull off here is like the immaculate deflation. And I thought that was just <laughs> that, terrific.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, that's exactly what they're trying to do, pull off this immaculate deflation where they – don't kill the economy, and they don't kill jobs, but they make money a lot more expensive and a lot tighter. Hence, immaculate deflation. And just like immaculate conception, it's probably very difficult to pull off. Can we agree? Uh- extremely difficult. I think we would
1: all agree that it's extremely difficult. And when we had the job numbers that came out on Friday, you know, the one thing in all of our strategy sessions we've had, I've always been in the camp that I just don't think, regardless of how far the Fed is raising interest rates, they're going to have a very tough time killing the job market or getting unemployment to four, four and a half 5% unemployment which in the grand scheme of economics 101 be back when we were all in college 5 to 6% unemployment was considered full employment but now on friday when we had the job numbers come out The unemployment rate's at 3.7%. The U6, which is considered the true total unemployment rate, is still at a record low of 6.7%, and we're still seeing above-average or above-expected wage inflation. So it just goes to show the small and mid-sized businesses how desperate they are for employees, how they're having to pay up to get employees motivated to get off their their rumps and get to work. But then when you look at the participation rate – With over 38% of working-aged Americans not working, that just still goes to show how much money is still in the coffers of the American consumer. And during the commercial break, I just wanted to take a look again at the M2 Money Supply because as we've been talking about all year and for our longtime listeners of the show, the $64,000 question is... Is the American consumer's savings going to outlast inflation? Is inflation going to finally – we know that it's peaked. It's started to come down, but it's still high from a historic standpoint. Is it going to get to a more manageable level before that savings runs out? So I just did a quick analysis – If you go back to the very beginning of COVID, let's say February of 2020 and where the M2 money supply was and where it was at the end of October, we still have $5.94 trillion of excess savings from where the M2 money supply was of February of 2020. So that is still a ton of money in the coffers of the American consumer. This is why we still see strong demand on the service side, why you still see people taking trips, hotels still full. There's a lot of money still out there to spend, and that's going to keep inflation, of course, hotter for longer. But the American consumer is obviously absorbing it. This is why I I personally feel that we're not going to be going into this dastardly, deep, dark recession that some analysts of other firms have been pontificating about in the financial entertainment press. Yeah, Joe.
2: Well, we're talking about all having different opinions and you talk about portfolio construction and Overall, the stocks in our portfolio, maybe we can all agree they're we're leaning towards GARP, which is growth at a reasonable price. My concern the first quarter of next year was solidified by what happened this past Monday with China and their zero tolerance for COVID. The, the reality of Apple, I mean, they're looking at their their 14 pro sales. They're not going to be good luck getting one this Christmas. I'm looking at it from a large cap growth and a tech perspective and until China, gets back to work, and you talk about labor participation, they can't even work sometimes in China. You need to have that baited to some extent, and they need to get back to normal before we can look at a, a stock market and building a portfolio and looking at large cap growth. That's just my opinion, but I think well, that's a variable that Powell can't control, and none of us here can control and it's and it's and well, and hopefully and, china's getting the message but, but well but
1: and, and, the, and, and the other thing is it's tough to handicap in a portfolio but i still think you have to have a barbell approach i mean we've talked about the barbell approach on numerous shows but you're right joe if you look at our the composite of our Stock portfolio, whether individual stocks and bonds or our asset builder program, we're really leaning more in the GARP, growth at a reasonable price, leaning to value. But it doesn't mean that we've completely eliminated growth out of our portfolio because I just don't think that that's a wise move because things, as we all know, markets can change in a blink of an eye. Cinema can change in a blink of an eye. There's a lot of great large cap companies, whether it be in tech, whether it be in healthcare, industrials, some of them have just been absolutely bludgeoned. And if you're a long term investor and you have a longer investing runway, if you can go out and buy some of these stocks at 20, 30, 40, 50% off a 52 week high with a long term investment time horizon and you can dollar cost in dollar cost average into those positions over time, I think you're gonna look back five, six years from now and say that was a no brainer. But it can be painful in the shorter term because I'm not saying that the, that the low isn't in or that we're not going to retrace possibly back to 3500 in the S&P 500. I'm not going to sit here and say that that's not going to happen because there are so many unknown variables and everyone's trying to figure out what is going to be the earnings going into next year for the S&P 500. And everyone has a different opinion about that. And Jeff, before the show, pointed out, When you're looking at a a backwards-looking price-earning multiple of the S&P 500 north of 21, you know, and finally stocks have some competition with fixed income, and as we've been talking about on this program, we're finally, as a balanced manager, we haven't had access to yields like this in 14-plus years. So you can bet your bottom dollar, the Davidson Capital Management Money Wise guys, we're going to be taking advantage of it in all of our portfolios for all of our clients. I don't care what the allocation model is. You're not going to stare a 4.5% yield of maturity, gift horse in the mouth, and fixed income, especially not in a U.S. Treasury that has zero risk.
2: And I'm done. Kyle's rolled up. As Mark Levin Levin would say. if, If our listeners could see him, his head's about to explode. Well, so, well, the good
0: news is I got 12 minutes in the next segment to re- refute <laughs> all of everything Kyle just oh, said. We're we're refute, refute!
1: <laughs> I, I, I already just said that I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not, not saying, I'm not not saying that we've we've crossed over the 200-day moving average and we're never looking back. Okay. I'm not saying that. This is why the new stock positions we've been building in the portfolio, we're doing it very slowly. We're moving very patiently, very measured. We're not going in all at once because there are still so many unknowns out there. You have to be very patient in market conditions like this. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. MoneyWise guys will be back after this. two one six two if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com and don't forget you can subscribe to the moneywise podcast through Apple podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show okay so okay so Jeff did you did you rest up during the commercial break so you could wind up and fire back I mean it's not like I said hey the market's going to an all-time high by the end of the year. No. So I'm just, I'm just curious. That's so, what I
2: took from it.
1: No, I'm just I, 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 you, Joe, do you have your we're, stripes on. Do you have your zebra shirt on? I do, I to do. to, we're to officiate, it, we're gonna have the the. I just
2: we haven't I, had I, Davidson Capital Fight Night in a while, but no, we're doing it now. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, a not fight. fight. It's it's, it's fight. debate. <laughs> it's debate night. It's a, it's a debate. Fight. It's a
3: debate.
0: So. We may be the only radio show and program in the United States that talks about M2 money supply because no one else is. <laughs> but, you know, Kyle, you know M2 does contain corporate cash too, right? Well, then that I mean, just goes to show the it, it, cash it, on the that, balance that sheets mean, of corporate that America. Doesn't mean, yeah, that doesn't, mean that, that doesn't to, mean that they're going to be buying stock with it.
1: Right? No, but, but remember, it as it, goes it, it the does economy, mean, what it so does goes mean, the
0: market. Okay, but what it does mean – as corporations are in really good financial condition uh, going into a potential recession. And I'm not in the camp that we're going to have a deep, dark recession either. Um, I think it seems to me, given how we continue to be in this inverted yield curve environment, uh, that a recession seems inevitable, and there wasn't anything that the Federal Reserve governor said on Wednesday that made me think that okay, they're going to start, they're going to, they're going to reduce the the rate of interest rate increases from three quarters of a percent to a half percent. Wow. Now, how many more times are they going to raise rates a half percent? That's the real question. Are they going to raise another half percent three or four more times? I don't know. Because it's all going to be what data dependent. Now, data was there anything, There wasn't any. There wasn't anything in the unemployment data that led me to believe that that labor uh, labor conditions were loosening. I mean, we got we got average hourly earnings up six tenths of a percent. That's higher than they were the previous month. Yes, it's not the highest that we've had this year, but they were up again. That's inflationary, right? But it's also lagging, but all this information is lagging, so there's all, is, I mean all all the things that the Fed has done is lagging sure. would it would it be reasonable to expect that the Federal Reserve is going to overshoot on interest rate increases? Well, their their betting
1: their their betting average is quite high for overshooting. So I right. would say, did yes. they did
0: they not overshoot on keeping interest rates too long too low too Absolutely. long? Sure. So do you think we're going to probably overshoot on the other on the other side? Yeah, we're going to overshoot, and that's But they, are, all. Looking, but they are looking to slow down. Though we're not doing another seventy five basis
1: points. We're not going. So they're going to slow 1%. it to
0: fifty, which will be which means we'll have four hundred and twenty five basis points. Of Fed fund rate increases in a single year, and we haven't had that since the 1980s, right? And that has consequences, and if it acts with a lag effect, then the lag effect is going to eventually catch up with this, and this 21 PE that we were talking about, which is based on actual earnings reported. That's what the current P.E. on the S&P 500 is based on actual earnings that have been reported to date. All this stuff you hear with the talking heads, they throw out all these P.E. numbers. Those are based on estimates, ladies and gentlemen, estimates of next year. So you'll hear 17 or 18 thrown around. I'm not of the opinion that we're uh, going to have P.E.s next year that are going to be in 17-18 based on lower earnings estimates, based on lower actual earnings that are going to start coming out here in the first quarter. And that's why you know I'm, and I think some of us are in agreement on this, that the first half of next year is going to be challenging. We've run up 20% in the Dow, 14% in the S&P. The Dow is over 2,000 points above its 200-day moving average. Right now, right now, we didn't even get above that when we had this, when the Dow was last at this, at the when the Dow got over the 200-day line in mid-August, we were like 500 points above the 200-day line for like three or four trading sessions. We are thousands of points above it now. It just reeks to me of an overshoot on the upside. Maybe it was an overshoot on the downside, that October number, but it sure seems like an overshoot on the upside. Now, can we do this? Can we can we continue this into the end of the year? Sure. There's all this hot money that's chasing, 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 trying to improve their performance this year because maybe they've had a bad year. Maybe they're down 20%. Maybe they're down high teens. It's like, look, this is the way that we can get – improve our performance and do some window dressing. We'll just go in there and buy, 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 buy. What are they going to do come in January? Are they still going to be buying? Are they going to take all these profits that they've made in this, you know, incredible run-up here in the last three months of the year on what? What's the news? Tell me what the news is. Tell me what the new positive is. Yeah, we always well, talk about much you. the. Kyle always says to me about this new negative. What's the new negative, Jeff? That's made you a little more bearish. Well, I'd like to say or ask the question: What's the new positive that justifies this kind of run-up? Other than one thing, the Fed's not going to raise seventy-five basis points; they're only going to raise fifty. Well, I can tell you, I can tell you what some of the. It's not a new positive,
1: but it's 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 a. It's been proven that inflation has peaked and that inflation is continuing to moderate. Yes, the moderation is going to take more time. It's not going to moderate over, it's not going to moderate in a quarter, but that is that is absolute fact that inflation has peaked and that it is starting to moderate and come down. Yes, it's still at at 40 year highs, but it is moving in the right direction. We saw that with the core PCE that came out this past week also at 4.98%. So and that's that's the that's the no, way like that
0: what, it? But wait, wait, wait. What did the Federal Reserve say? It's a yeah, we look at this, but we're still more concerned about headline CPI yes. meaning 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 consumer CPI. CPI we're gonna get we're gonna correct. get consumer CPI will be coming out either the day before or the day after the the Fed meeting. That's in two weeks, I believe. Thirteenth or fourteenth. Yeah. So I don't like have that.
1: the day. I mean the Fed meeting's on the fourteenth when the announcement comes out. I, that might actually be the same day as the CPI, but but again, I'm not going to go back and bore our listeners with the calculations I've been doing, but if the basket of goods stays in and around the same as it was at the end of October, as we start to get to the first quarter of next year, you're going to see the cpi numbers start accelerating to the downside and the fact that the fed is still holding on to this 2% mandate which all of us agree is absolutely ridiculous i mean they need to at least adjust it to 3 because there's going to be some parts of inflation like oil and gas because of the boneheaded policies that are coming out of washington that aren't going to change until we get a republican president sitting in the oval office so we're still going to be dealing with, with higher inflation when it comes to oil and
2: gas. I th- th- in the last week, I heard a couple of analysts talking about earnings being flat next year to being down. So I think there is if, if what's on the horizon. And to Jeff's point about inflation, and I love the, the immaculate defla- uh, deflation idea. You know, They're trying to thread a needle here, and it's going to be really, really tough. They're probably going to overshoot. But I think the other thing that concerns me a little bit is – what happened to our earnings expectations for next year they're starting to come down and they're starting to be revised downwards every and that but again they're mind, trying to it's handicap about a week, so but we don't yeah but we don't
1: know until we get there and we do know for fact that there is still a ton of cash that's out there whether it's in the coffers of corporate America or the American consumer because guess what Jeff they're still spending do did, did we not do we not have do we not have GDP come out this past week higher than expect than expected
0: We did. It was 2.6. So GDP is
1: holding holding up. There is still pent-up demand. 2.9. 2.9. So there might not be as pent-up demand on products, but there's definitely pent-up demand on services. And I can just say anecdotally, when I'm looking for plane tickets at the end of the first quarter of next year, and they're very few and far between, and hotel rooms are very few and far between, they are getting –
0: taken care of they're being paid for what does all that mean what does all that mean though kyle that gives the fed cover to do what continue raising interest rates people are still spending people are still spending
2: spending.
1: but again they'll they'll go from
0: they'll go 50 yeah maybe the basket of goods maybe the tomatoes and the milk and the meat and the gasoline but what about services do you think the guy that comes out and fixes my air conditioning or fixes my plumbing or does, you know, comes comes to my house, do anything, or you go get your car fixed, think, or services in general, getting hotel rooms, flying on airlines, going to restaurants, are any of those prices coming down? Heck no, they're not coming down, my man. Because the they consumer are not is still coming paying. Down. Because That's the right. consumer exactly, is still exactly, paying. Exactly. For it. Exactly. And the Fed ain't going to stop until they slow that down. And that has implications for the for stocks, and it's going to have implications for earnings. And that's that's why I'm am not very I'm 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 less than constructive on the first half of next year. I'm more constructive well, I, on the second half. I would I wouldn't
1: disagree with you on the first half of next year. It's definitely going to be challenging, but I, I think that there's going to be continued data that's ba- that's continuing to back up the fact that inflation has peaked. It's going to be coming down, and it's going to be continuing to move down to the Fed eventually stops raising rates. But we got to take another commercial break. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. two one six two if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com and don't forget you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through apple podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show so if we hosed ourselves off during the commercial break after that uh that exchange um you know, it, really what it all comes down to is everything's going to be data dependent. We can analyze, we can look at numbers, but it's all going to be about the data. I'm still in the camp that the, the Federal Reserve is definitely deep in the eighth inning of interest rate increases. I know from a basket of goods standpoint and the year-over-year comparisons that CPI is going to be accelerating to the downside we know that inflation has peaked. We know that when it comes to earnings for each and every single company, it's going to be on a company-by-company company basis because we're still seeing companies meet and beat earnings expectations. But, of course, forward guidance, if you're a CEO, you're not going to be setting your bar high looking into the future because there are still so many unknowns. So you're going to try to lower that bar as far as you can possibly get away with. and. I do agree, Jeff, that the first half of next year can be challenging. We could definitely see more profit-taking the first uh, month in particular in January for all the managers that have had embedded long-term unrealized capital gains that they didn't want to take anymore this year. So we could us see included. some of that. T- us included. <laughs> so we could see that, obviously, in the first few weeks in particular of additional profit-taking. But, with all this said, this is the other reason why we're not sitting 50 a 50-50 allocation and a moderate allocation. This is why we're still sitting around 36-37% uh, to the stock side. You know, the all-in-all-out strategy is an absolute failed strategy, but we are we are building our portfolio, looking into the new year, dollar cost averaging moving very slowly into building these positions, but I know, and I don't know if we've talked about it on this show, but I know going back several months, we were kind of all in agreement for our moderate allocation. We feel comfortable with our tactical maximum at 60%, you know, up until we most likely get uh, Joe Biden out of the White House.
0: Well, I think it's it's more about, it's more of a, it's not really about, It's not about Joe Biden, but it's about, it's about the returns we're now getting in, in bonds. We just don't need to be as aggressive in stocks on a, on a maximum asset allocation basis to achieve a given level of return because we're finally getting some real returns in, in bonds. And that's another, you know, another reason why I think Fred's going to keep raising interest rates is they want real returns and fixed income instruments and we're still not there. We're not in, you know, if you, you take out. If you take a ten-year Treasury minus the inflation rate, it's still a negative real return. I'm not this, I'm not in the camp that we're going to have an a, you know accelerating uh, deflationary environment. I, I, I have we have zero chance of the immaculate deflation that the Federal Reserve may be dreaming about. I think they'll just reduce the rate at which they raise interest rates uh, to fifty basis points, and they may even skip meetings just to see how it's working. Well, but yeah. you're also and, not. at does camp. that does does that mean that we're going to go up twenty percent in the Dow next quarter if they come out and say, okay, we're going to we're going to skip a meeting and we're going to we're going to we're going to consider maybe raising fifty basis points every other meeting based on the incoming data? Is that going to be good for another twenty percent up in the Dow with the P/E right now at twenty one? I don't. I just don't see it. Not if we're not if we're now looking at maybe getting five percent yields in two year instruments, I mean, it just, but, the but bonds I, I, are really going to be competition for stocks when, when you start getting up when you start getting up in those in those at those level of rates and the fact that we've had such a great quarter and we still have three weeks left and the seasonality as we as Kyle has pointed out and as we hear the pundits on TV talking about the seasonality is that the the markets tend to go up. You know, into the end of the year, it's not guaranteed. We've had many Decembers that were not good uh, for the markets, but yeah, they want to run it up a little bit more on the Dow. We go up another,
2: you know, two or three percent. They're going to give it back next quarter. I mean, yeah, you could have a CPI print come in better yeah. than expected or lighter, and you could have a run up, and then everybody's going to take capital gains or going to sell in the first quarter next year. Who's to say I the next CPI print isn't the other way? Correct. And I do think one thing long-term, if you're getting ready to retire in the next two three years, and Kyle talked about it, getting back to a 60-40 allocation. I was reading an article by BlackRock today talking about, you know, getting back to a 60-40, 60% stock, 40% bond allocation. And obviously repositioning and taking advantage of some of these, these yields and these bonds, you know, they're there. And if you can get four or four and a half, five, you have to be crazy not to take it, but in the long run, when you're retiring, it should add some more stability to your portfolio, and you're not going to have to be quite as active. You're always going to have to be active as a manager, but you're going to be able to let a lot of the hard work be done by the fixed income side. Which well, and, it, and it, it, there's option there's options in cash too that you got to be you have to be on your toes to take advantage of that. Well,
1: and then something else, you know, on the fixed income side is, you know, bonds have to be actively managed just as much as stocks. You have to have the same level of diversification of bonds. I mean, we brought in some new clients this year at Davidson Capital Management that are down 20, 30% with less than a 50% allocation to the stock market is because their bond side of their portfolio was not being actively managed. They were too long in duration, and when rates were going up, they got absolutely clobbered. And so you, the way that we use fixed income here at Davidson Capital Management is real easy, safety and income. What Safety and real, income.
0: What's the other reason why they lost so much money in bonds this year, Kyle? They well, were they're t- they're in mutual funds. They are in mutual funds. funds. Yeah. We haven't owned bond mutual funds in years
1: that 's right that 's right, well, and it was also a set and forget it philosophy yeah. you can 't set and forget it the markets we all know, all of our listeners know markets can change in a blink of an eye, sentiment can change in a blink of an eye, data can change in a blink of an eye, you have to be you have to be active. you cannot just set it, forget it, and walk away, and think that everything 's going to be hunky dory because that 's just not how it works, not in the speed and the technology that 's now involved in the stock market with these algorithms and all these black box algorithm. Uh, computers and all these hedge fund managers out there and all these derivative strategies. You know, you have to be active and you have to have the right duration. You have to have the right diversification on both sides of your portfolio. But again, for us, we welcome these higher rates. I mean, we welcome these higher rates. Our clients welcome these higher rates. So it's just going to be a matter of time. Um, to where sixty forty actually works? Because this year, unfortunately, sixty forty hasn't been working due to the poor performance of both the fixed income and equity side, and lack of active management.
0: So with that, that's it. I'm dropping the had. mic for you, Kyle. I'm dropping the mic for you. You're Are we a little rusty? Mic. <laughs> well, no, not today? at all.
1: Not at all. Not at all. Well, at all. we are coming up to the top of the hour break, so we are going to take the break. We'll go on to the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education. But don't forget, if you'd like to have a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at 800-275-2162 or go to our website at davidsoncap.com. So stay tuned. We're going to take that commercial break. When we come back, we'll be headed into the second hour. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news.
0: All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at nine zero six. 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at
0: davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour this weekend's Money Wise
1: program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, I, it's it's a topic that I wanted to Revisit, go into a little bit more detail about, and for any long-time listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike, or I should say, just straight-out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or any any shape and form. And so, the reason why uh, I've been motivated to to talk more about this and go into a deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a f- blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product, to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is.
0: The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm -hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason... The insurance industry is allowed to use that word, the G word, as part of the marketing pitch. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one, only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a, and
1: really, it's like you said, Jeff, it's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this, this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's, that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company, guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The, the new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at uh, at lunch and dinner
0: seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This The equity indexed annuity product mm-hmm. is... On the radio, as, as, as it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is.
1: I'd probably say in some instances more. Jeff. You know,
0: I don't see, I do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities. But whether it's satellite radio, whether it's terrestrial radio, uh, there are radio shows all across. You know, we we hear as we're driving across the state of Texas, there are probably five equity-indexed annuity-based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There will th- be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity-indexed annuities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity-indexed annuities. And
1: every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff... Throughout the history of, of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return
0: givers? No, earners. They're 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 basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety. As a, I mean, in, in return, and in return, you know, CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and it has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits, then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program if so if that bank should fail. So so with this in mind,
1: knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return, is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And now when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you'd want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to Moneywise at DavidsonCap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity, Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are and we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we will stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products um, so let's get back to the eia now equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return or rate of interest and an interest rate linked to a market index uh... now what is the guaranteed minimum rate well typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid, Uh, and that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after tax dollars and you're pre 59.5, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story, because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today, is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the st- in the state of Texas, if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business, is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, six hundred thousand, a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else the salesperson is not going to tell you When they're selling you this product, and I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity
3: business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is, a, this is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad,
1: actually gave
3: them more fire for
1: their sales pitch because annuities Well, partic- fear has got higher. And yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. And really, annuities in general, but especially equity-indexed annuities are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster... Equity indexed annuity sales because they can pray, the salesman, yes, and I use the word, they can pray on your fear, on your uncomfortableness and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch.
0: That is a sales pitch and it's a flat out lie. And, and here's here's the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully and you hear that you'll hear hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor and tails the insurance company loses. I want you – that doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the market go, goes up 10 percent? Well, you get 10 percent. And if the market goes down 10 percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be 1 to 3 percent. So you, you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And, and here's something
1: else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch Mr. Ms. Client, I'm not making a commission.
0: Yeah, that's.
1: I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free.
0: Right. That is another part of the sales pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the. Oh, really? I, I, you, you may be <laughs> sorry. You, you may be making, a little, a, may little, be really making really a little more dramatic. You may be making a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on the on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting
1: back to equity indexed annuity. So how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500 and The index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in? So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80%
0: of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some a
1: lot of equity indexed annuities talk about a 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of say 4%. So the market goes up 10, the S&P goes up 10%. You're capped at 4. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying right. this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you, it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time, less than a One year. year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to MoneyWise. At DavidsonCap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates, and basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index, which sounds great, but then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line and then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And, again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. Are, and that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic.
0: And I don't mean to steal any into your thunder, oh, okay. but there is, there is another teaser that draws clients in.
1: Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium and and, and we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle it is an insurance policy and we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while so when you're buying an annuity the money you're putting into it is called a premium just like if you were buying a life insurance policy Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity Why would an insurance company, if this product is so good... All the upside, none none of the the downside. downside, Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you ten free thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus?
0: It's all marketing.
1: It's all marketing. dad it's to get your sales
0: juices going, so where you no, will so go inside the dotted line. It would get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund. You go on the paper and oh, here is this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra ten percent if I put a hundred thousand dollars into it. It's now going to be worth one hundred and ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. You see any uh, are mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck, no. No. This is the this is one of the only products that I know of that that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they they sweeten the pot. With these bonuses, but you must stay in that investment for the entire. Well, there's different. There's different investing yeah. schedules. There's for different the bonus. investing. But but I can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus. So when I say extended period of time, and we're talking ten years or more. Yeah, and we'll get to the surrender
1: penalty. Penalty periods in just a second, uh, you know. And again, as I've I've said to anyone thinking about buying these, if they have to entice you with free money, if this thing is really that good as it's being presented, they wouldn't have to give you anything. Well, if
0: they were really that good, Kyle, why would we even need to be buying stocks, and why would we need to be buying exactly. bonds, and why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds, and why would all these other organizations in the United States that are selling? Uh, that are managing people's money. Why would, why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the markets? All we got to do is stick it in these equity index We're going to get all the upside and on
3: the downside and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product?
1: And, and, you, and you bring up a good point uh, that of the 20 largest insurance companies in, in the country that 19 of them avoid it Like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11 foot pole, let alone a 10 foot pole. And most equity indexed annuity providers are smaller lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the Met Lifes of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these types Life. of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but... Uh we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Inv- listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the state board of insurance, I think they're
0: really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but... Haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in
1: fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products and that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any... Financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA. actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA, they're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission, they only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims, and when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand. From the state board of insurance,
0: and just to kind of for some of our listeners that uh, were listening to us in two thousand five, two thousand and six, we actually turned into the state board of insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities, and uh, in one show, in one, one
1: show. in one hour, they had twenty six noted violations. In their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two PhD mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators, where they have found that approximately twenty percent of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA and to the sales force.
3: And you keep saying EIA equity, equity index annuities. annuities.
1: So if you're given so if you're buying an equity index annuity, putting a hundred thousand dollars into it, you can almost assure yourself that about twenty thousand dollars of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, well, Kyle, I put in a hundred thousand dollars and I've got a hundred thousand dollars in my account. That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? And why do you
0: think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. Um, and so we you know we talked about the surrender
1: pe- penalty period you know i've done a bunch of research on multiple equity indexed annuities and what i have found running numbers back and in fact i've i've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950 i've seen numbers run back to 1962 and i can tell you that from the research i have done you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold Returns ranging anywhere from one5 to 2% annualized per year.
0: This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term... Don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you, you might receive in a CD That's or a right. government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right.
1: So let's talk about their, uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you needed to get a hold of more than 10%. Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear end surrender charges, 20% plus to get this money out. So, there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity indexed annuities and really annuities in general only allowing up to a 10 percent free withdrawal Uh, anything above that particularly in equity indexed annuities you can be hit with substantial rear-end commissions or rear-end surrender charges as we call them or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them so again they have a real lack of liquidity now as i was talking about how extremely complicated these products are you know they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark so the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser but because the product is so complex and you need to be a phd in math and mathematics to figure them out it, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and opaque and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated uh, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up – for the annuity, you're trapped. There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, You know, and what, again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class-action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of you all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organized crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say. Wouldn't you say, Dad? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company, Was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one hour or two hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity-indexed annuities. And he's known for the catch-a-predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator.
3: It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. This salesperson. That's what got him into it.
1: And and so somewhere out there on the Internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several years this ago. This was several years ago. And, again, any long-time listener to this program know that we are disdained for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity-indexed annuities is what really... Gets me fired up because they are so worthless.
3: Well, they're, they're in my the blue plague of all yeah, of products all, of all that you have ever come across.
1: And and you know we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions, and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches, and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there
0: been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity-indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X, have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago?
1: No. in, in, In fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs got an EIA that's had since around 2006, since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90%. After all fees and expenses. After all fees and expenses. That's a huge difference that's a huge difference you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above what a cd would return but uh, i can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside none of the downside and i do know and again for education this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited
2: partnerships.
0: The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets (laughs) from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. 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 If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular that's fr- right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and come. You, to, you, 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 you don't you come. D- to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to you your know. doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right.
1: So uh, I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor, pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of and, any,
0: any type of annuity.
1: Of any type of annuity, and I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that had heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities, and they have thanked us for making that mistake in buying these types of products. And, you know, I wanted to, to thank all of our listeners to, to sticking with us in this second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program to get this education, because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products, because they are no good for, for, for nobody. I mean, they're, they're no good, period. And there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.